1 John 2, 1 through 14. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Oh, Father, these things are true because you say they're true. God, this is who we are, your children, because you said so. God, your word has things to say that oftentimes our ears do not want to hear, but we need it, Lord. And I pray that we would receive it because we have the confidence that you call us children. You love us so that your love can be perfected in us and shine through us. And so, Jesus, please be all that we see today, be all that we hear today, be all that we worship today, be all that our hearts desire today. God, be everything to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever, um, have you ever walked into a room looking for something, gotten into the room, and just completely forgot what you were looking for? <laughs> Daily. <laughs> what happens most often for me is in middle of a conversation, um, I'll be telling a story and then completely forget why I'm telling the story. Uh, you know, one thing leads to another. I'm in a story and I'm like, I, I, I could have sworn there was a point to this. Whether it's because of, you know, busyness or distraction or just sometimes absent-mindedness. This kinds of, these kinds of things happen. 
But there's a way that this kind of absent-mindedness can be destructive. There's there's a way that this kind of absent-mindedness, when applied to our spirituality or our Christian life, can be deadly, like, like walking into a room and forgetting why you're there or what you're looking for. My concern is that we would come to church on Sundays and open the Bible in the morning or, or sit down in our time of prayer, whatever it is, and then just completely forget why we're there. Oh man, today's going to be interesting. Um, church, why are you here? To know Jesus. Why, why are you here? Why did you come today? Many times we come to church because we're a Christian and that's what Christians do. We go to church. What are you going to do on Sunday? We go to church. I'm a Christian. That's what we do. Maybe you were dragged here. Right? Someone that loves you said, you, you need to be here with me. Maybe uh, you want to make your parents or a friend happy and so you're here. Maybe you know, there's a cute girl, cute guy you're interested in, and so you, fo- you follow them to church. Lots of Christians are in church because there's a cute girl or a cute guy. You've walked into the room. You're here. You took a seat. You got coffee at the coffee table. You talked to friends. You sat down. You're here. Why? Why are you here? What are you looking for? The Apostle John wants to make it abundantly clear to us today why he is writing. And I wonder if the same reason he is writing is the same reason that we're here today. See, this passage, 1 John 2, 1 through 14, this is John's purpose statement. In the 14 verses we just read, John uses the phrase, I am writing to you or I write to you nine times. If we want to know why John is writing, we better take care and look at verses 1 through 14. Should we ever forget why we should listen to what John has to say or why we should listen to what Scripture has to say? It's right here. Verse 1, little children, I write to you so that you may not sin. You see, John writes so that we would not only talk of holy things, but so that we would walk in holiness. There was a season early on in my Christian faith when I needed to be confronted in the lack of holiness holiness in my life. I trusted Jesus for the first time when I was 19 years old, and I wish I could say that all of my sin disappeared overnight. It didn't. I cleaned up parts of my life to the best of my ability, the things that I knew obviously needed to change, but there was so much of it that was still shrouded in darkness, and outwardly some could look and see that my life was changing, but inwardly there was still a lot of the same struggle, a lot of the same sin and shame. And in one particular season, I stopped fighting it. I stopped fighting against the sin. I started giving myself to it. And it went on like this for a while. Not a weekend, not a week, not a month, 
not months. Went on for a while. Then one day, I sat down for coffee with a friend. And I began to share my sin with my friend. It wasn't an attempt to bring it into the light. It wasn't from a heart of repentance. I was so seduced by my own sin that I began to boast in it. Claiming to be a Christian, claiming to know God, claiming, spouting theology, and bragging to my friend about the darkness in my life. My friend lovingly, graciously, compassionately slapped the ever-living tar out of me. Amen. God bless you, Micah Moblin. He brought the full weight of our friendship, the full weight of our shared faith, the full weight of the Spirit of God and the Word of God upon me with such love and compassion and said with this combination of disappointment and and righteous anger and love, he said, Adam, what are you doing? What are you doing? And like that moment in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sin and they're hiding from God and God is walking in the garden, he says, Adam, where are you? I heard the voice of God through him just say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What my friend was fighting for in me all those years ago is what John is fighting for in his letter. It's what many of us need somebody to fight for in us today. John is writing so that we may not sin. So that we may not give ourselves over to what he will call in the next passage, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He is writing, my little children, so that you may not sin. Jesus didn't come so that we could sin and get away from it, get away with it. Jesus didn't come so that we could sin and just not feel bad about it. He came to set us free from sin so that we could walk free from sin. So that we would walk in holiness as he walked in holiness. See, sin is not just stuff that God doesn't like and so he doesn't want you to do. It's not what it is. See, I'm told that there are parents who do not get irritated to no end when they're driving their car and the children are kicking the back of their seat. I am told that there are parents that this does not irritate. I am not one of those parents, as my son can testify. Right? He's nodding. Sin is not like that. Sin is not, is not just getting on God's nerves. Sin is operating outside of your design and intention as an image bearer of God. Sin is operating outside of your design and intention as an image bearer of God. It's not like kicking the back of a driver's seat. It's like driving without oil. Shortly after I met Jesus, I was driving a 1987 Toyota Supra and I thought I was awesome. 
but I was lazy. And I didn't check the oil as often as I should have. And so one day on my way to school, I blew that car up. And I, 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 was, I was driving it outside of the way it was designed, and I destroyed it. See, John is not being heavy-handed or being some overly, uh, like, overbearing authority figure trying to keep his people from having fun. He's telling the church to check their oil. He's pleading with them not to blow up their lives. God is not telling you, he's not telling you to stop annoying God. He's pleading with you to stop destroying yourself. Sin is operating outside of your design and intention as an image bearer of God. And when we do that, bad things happen. But at the same time, John isn't ignorant. He's not foolish. He's not naive. He knows that sin is a reality in all of our lives. He says, and if anyone does sin, he wants them to know the severity of it, but he also wants them to know that it's not the end of the world. They don't have to hide from it, that Jesus can help them. See, when I blew up my car that day, I knew my dad was going to be furious. So I had it towed to the house, and I said to myself, how do I cover this up? The car literally wouldn't start. Shot a rod right through the side of the engine. Like, it, it, was, it was toast. How do I cover this up so my dad doesn't think it's my fault? I know what I'll do. I'll go buy some oil. So I went down the street and I, to the, like the, the auto shop and I bought some oil and I poured the oil into the engine. And I was like... I don't know, Dad. It just blew up on me. He comes home. I'm still at school. I told him what happened on the phone. He uh, pops the hood. I didn't put the oil cap back on. So he's like, that's weird. Checks the oil. You ever checked your oil? What color is the oil on the end of the dipstick? It's black, right? Yeah. Not this one. Solid gold. And my dad just said, you fool, (laughs) what are you thinking? He laughed at me for weeks, not because I blew up my car, but because I thought I could hide it from him. Till the day he died, he made fun of me for that. See, John assumes that we're going to struggle with sin. He assumes that he knows it's there. We should all assume that even those we respect the most are going to struggle with sin, but we don't have to hide from it. We don't have to beat ourselves up for it. And God's not mad at us for it. Because for those who have trusted in Jesus, Jesus has already made you holy. The reason you can walk in holiness is because Jesus has already made you holy. This is what it means for Jesus to be our advocate and our propitiation. As an advocate, Jesus comes alongside us and pleads our case to the Father. He doesn't just say, oh, Father, forgive them. Like, it's, they're, they're a really nice person. They do good most of the time. Actually, uh, Father, if you take all their bad deeds and their good deeds and you put them on a scale, I'm certain the good deeds will outweigh it. So just don't, don't take it out on them. That's not what he does. 
See, Jesus says, yes, Father, their sin is that bad. Their sin deserves death. You have every right to meet their sin with the full weight of your wrath. But there's just one thing. I've taken it for them. I have taken the wrath for their sin in myself. Forgive them. He is our advocate. He goes before you. He pleads your case. But this is also what it means for him to be our propitiation. Propitiation means that he appeases the wrath of God. That God's wrath is satisfied in Jesus. That God's wrath for the sins of the whole world, John says, are, 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 is poured out on Jesus so that every soul in the planet would have the opportunity to have their sins forgiven by trusting in Jesus. This is, John is not preaching universalism. This is not because of what Jesus has done. Everyone is forgiven and there's nothing you need to worry about. No. What John is saying is that because Jesus is our propitiation, because he has satisfied the wrath of God, we now have the opportunity to be covered from God's wrath by coming under Jesus. If you are outside of Christ, well, then you will experience that wrath for yourself. But for those who trust in Jesus, he is our advocate. He is our propitiation. So we can take heart even when we fail. Even when you fail. And so this call to holiness, this call that we may not sin, is not a call for us to earn our salvation or Okay, you believe in Jesus, now you got to work your way into his acceptance. It's not what's going on here. It's a call to live in light of our salvation. You have been made holy, therefore, be holy. Therefore, live holy lives. You have been set free from sin, therefore, live free from sin. Don't receive back onto yourself the bondage of sin, uh, slavery to sin. Jesus broke those chains. Don't give the enemy that power over you. Don't give sin and shame and Satan that power over you. Jesus broke that chain. Don't put it back on you. You have been set free from sin. Therefore, live free from sin. See, this call to live in light of our salvation as we work this out in daily life, we understand that holiness is an assurance of salvation. As we see holiness increasing in our lives, it is a reminder to us not to work our way into salvation, but personal holiness is the assurance that we truly do know Jesus. John says that apart from holiness, that is obedience to God's commandments, we do not have a leg to stand on when we claim to know him. If you claim to know him, you keep his commandments. If you claim to abide in him, you will walk in the way in which he walked, in holiness. If you're here and there's no evidence of holiness in your life, I would ask you to search and discover whether you've truly put your faith in Jesus. There is all kinds of encouragements in Scripture to make your calling and election sure. To, to, to truly test and see 
if you've believed. John says that anyone who says they know him but doesn't obey him is a liar. We will sin. Yes. It's not if you claim to be a Christian and you sin, you're a liar. No. It's if you claim to be a Christian and you have no regard for the sin in your life. John is not primarily concerned about when we lose a fight to sin and temptation. He is concerned when we have lost the will to fight. John pleads with his people, do not sin. But if you do, know that your sin is forgiven. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for your sin. And continue the fight. Confess the loss. Continue the fight. This is the way we know that we know him. If we walk in the way that Jesus walked. We pursue holiness because we've been made holy. We pursue holiness because it gives us assurance of our salvation. We pursue holiness because Jesus is holy. He's shown us the way to live. He is our example. We follow him. And following him means that our lives will reflect him. And if we would be holy as Jesus is holy, then John says we must also walk in love. John has a lot to say about love and hate. And he talks about love and hate in the same way that he talked previously about light and dark. Just as light and dark are not opposites, but dark is the absence of light, so in the same way, hate and love are not opposites, but hate is the absence of love. Hate doesn't only mean intentionally, actively seeking someone's harm. It means being indifferent. means being indifferent. You might not be doing anybody harm in this life, and that's a good thing, but are you indifferent? Do you care? Love, then, is a genuine concern for the well-being of another, a willingness to be inconvenienced in order to pursue the good of another person. inconvenienced. It's a word we don't like too much. It's not only something, loving someone is not only doing something good for, for, for someone, it's, it's, it's doing something good for someone when you don't have to, don't necessarily need to, but you do because you love them. Reality Carp, are you willing to be inconvenienced? Talked about this. Why are you here? Why are we here? We came in, we sat down. Why are we here? As the church of God, God calls us to love. And sometimes that means being inconvenienced in order to pursue the good of another person on the other side of the room from you, on the other side of the city from you in another church that's different from the church that you attend to pursue their good, to love them, to be inconvenienced to love them, to serve them. 
Have we come here to consume or have we come here to love? John says this commandment is not a new commandment. This isn't new. They received it the moment they first heard the gospel and believed. But at the same time, because the circumstances in life and the circumstances in the church had changed, the implications of the commandment has changed as well. You see, the church that John is writing to has undergone a very difficult and dangerous season. They have been enduring false teachings, seeking to destroy people of faith. So John says this commandment is what you've known from the beginning. But it's a new season. It's, 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 there's, there's new things at stake. And so in that way, it is a new commandment. It has taken on new meaning. And so reality carp, this commandment to us to walk in holiness, to walk in love, it's not a new commandment. But we're new. And the world around us is new. And the season is new. And the church is new. And so we need to receive this commandment that has always been and will always be. It's the same command as always was, but it brings new life. It brings new meaning. It brings new implications to us. And so reality carp, we must walk in holiness and we must walk in love. This is the command that we have heard from him from the beginning. This command is to love, to love God and to love others. When the disciples came to Jesus, or when the, 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 the man came to Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says that it is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. This is the commandment. All of the law and the prophets hinge on these commandments from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Love God, love people. We can take it even further. Jesus, how should we pray? Teach us to pray, Jesus. Okay, I'm going to teach you to pray in light of the two greatest commandments. Love God, love people. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and deliver us from the evil one. It's our heart's loving commitment to God, our heart's loving commitment to the community of God. This is what Jesus came to teach. He came to teach love and he walked in it and he calls us to it. It's the same command that we have heard from the beginning to love God and to love others. And when we love in Jesus' name, John says, check this out. Don't miss the weight of this word. John says, God's love is perfected in you. The love of God is perfected in us when we love one another. That's insane. Right? Not because God's love lacks anything and he needs you to come along and like fan that into flame for him so it can be what he intends it to be. But God's love has a purpose. God's love has a desired intention. God pours out his love on you so that it would change you, not only in your heart, but in your actions. In the same way that God blesses Abraham in the Old Testament, says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. God has lavished his love upon you so that you would love others. And this 
perfects, it completes, it fulfills God's love. God's love comes full circle, not just when it's poured out on you, not just when it's received by you, but when it is reflected by you. God's love is perfected in us. And because we walk in love, it's not just perfected in us, it's reflected by us. See, we don't have the light of love in and of ourselves. We can't just like flip a switch and be like, the love of God. That's not how it works. We have to receive the love of God, be transformed by the love of God and reflect the love of God. We're like the moon reflecting the light of the sun. It's not in us ourselves, but we reflect the light of love that God has shined on his people and we reflect it to the world. This is why the apostle Paul says that in this twisted generation, you shine like stars as you hold fast the word of truth. As we cling to God's word, as we live our lives by God's word, as we reflect the truth of God's word to the world, that bright shining light that exudes from our lives into the rest of the world will be seen. This is what John means when he says, for the darkness is already passing away. The light is here. Jesus not only said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. As we receive the light of God's love and turn it around and extend it into the lives of others, God's love is perfected as it is reflected in us. We have a Wednesday night prayer and worship night every Wednesday night, 630 to 7:30. Little plug. But two Wednesdays ago, we were praying through this. And we were praying through walking in the light and God's light shining on the church. And an image came into my mind, two images that are juxtaposed to one another. And both of them, there was a bright shining light, a, a, just a, a bright, a bright light coming at God's people, coming at Carpinteria, and a figure that, in my understanding, represented the church, came in, in the first image, stood in front of that light, and eclipsed the light. If you've ever seen a solar eclipse, right? There's the little corona around the very edges, but, but it, outside of that, it, it blocks the light. In the second image, the same figure, representing the church, stood in front of the light, and was consumed by the light. It was absorbed by the light. And as a magnifying glass intensifies the light and the heat of the sun, the light that came from that light as that figure, as the church lost itself in the light, became intensified, became magnified. And I, I, I believe that image, whether it was something that came from my own imagination or, or something that came from God himself, I believe it's an accurate reflection of the choice that we have as a church, the choice that we have as individuals. So we have an option. We can be a consumer of God's light and be silhouetted by it, preventing God's light from reaching Carpinteria, the coastlands and the nations, and keeping it all to ourselves. We can be a consumer of God's love, or we can be a conduit 
of God's love and let it shine through us so that the world would experience its beauty and its brilliance. As Moses came down the mountain after experiencing God's glory, the scriptures say his face shone and the children of Israel hid themselves from it. They couldn't bear it because Moses' face reflected the glory of God that he had just encountered and experienced. And so we come into this place and we experience the Word of God. We experience the Spirit of God, the presence of Jesus. We experience the love of God. And we have the same invitation to leave here with faces shining with the love of God so that Carpinteria, the coastlands, and the nations can experience that. And so often we get in our cars and we go to our homes and we live out our weeks And we come back on Sunday and we experience the same thing. And then we get in our cars and we go home and we live out our weeks. And I just believe that the choice, the option that we often make is to be a silhouette. I want us to be a magnifying glass. I want us to be a lens that the love of God shines through. This is why God loves you. Not just to love you, He does. But because He loves the world. And he wants the world to know. And he wants Carpinteria to know. And he wants the coastal. He wants your neighbors to know, your coworkers to know, your roommates to know, your families to know, your children, your grandchildren. He wants your cousins, your aunts and uncles and employers and all of these people. He wants, he wants your enemies to know. He wants your enemies to experience his love. And he wants to use you to do it. Don't be a silhouette. Don't be a silhouette. Be a lens through which God's light is able to shine. But this won't happen as a church. Reality Carpinteria will not disappear into the light of God so that all that is remembered is the name of Jesus. That's the goal, right? That's the goal. We don't, I don't care what people say about Reality Carpinteria. I care about what people say about Jesus. And this isn't going to be us if we don't make this choice as individuals for our own lives to disappear into the light, to to receive the light of God, to reflect the light of God, as John says, if we don't do it as individuals, to love as we have been loved. This doesn't simply mean having affection for others, but it means doing something about it. Jesus certainly has affection for you, and he can change your affections for others. As you live in love toward them, he can change your heart and make you actually love them, and that's a beautiful thing. Jesus has affection for you, but his affection for you means that he did something about it. He did something about his love for you. And so we have been loved by God. Reality Carp, we have been loved by God. God has not been indifferent to us. He has actively sought us, pursued us, sacrificed for us, built us, shaped us, preserved us, glorified himself in us. Let us love like we have been loved. With a self-sacrificial willingness to be inconvenienced for the sake of those around us so that people will see the beauty and value and infinite worth of Jesus. There's a danger in hearing really any sermon. 
There's a danger in reading any command, exhortation that we find in Scripture. The danger is, the assumption may be, that when we hear a sermon or, or Scripture preaching against sin or trying to motivate you to love, the temptation is to believe that we are an unloving sinner and have no confidence or should have no confidence that Jesus, uh, that we know Jesus until we get our act together, right? Like we can sit here and go, geez, come on, Adam, I, 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 I believe. Like, yeah, I've, I've been like, stop yelling at me about my sin. <laughs> not sorry. Uh, I was going to say sorry. I'm not sorry. Uh, I don't want to yell at you. I love you. The temptation, though, when we hear things like this is to believe that we've got to get our act together. And listen to me right now. John is not telling his church to get his act together, and I'm not telling you to get your act together. That's not. If you leave this place going, oh my gosh, I got to get my act together, you're missing the point. Or I've not communicated effectively. The reason John is writing is not because he's trying to change people into something that they're not. See, he's writing so that you would become who you already are. He's writing so that you would become who you already are. You've been made holy. You are loved. So live a holy life. And love others. See, if you're not a believer, then there is an invitation for you in this to become a child of God, to experience the love of God, to repent of your sin, to walk in holiness, and to know for certain, to have assurance that your sins are forgiven, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. There is an invitation to you to have assurance that you will spend eternity with God in heaven. That's an invitation. But if you're here and you are a believer, then it's a command to live in light of who you already are. John's writing these things to encourage the church to walk in confidence of their identity in Christ, to walk in confidence. Because the call to holiness and assurance and the call to love is rooted in who we are as a people. It's rooted in who God has made us. John writes so that we may not sin. He writes so that we would walk in love, but he also writes so that we would have confidence in who we are. And he uses this beautiful familial language at the end of our text to remind us of who we are in Jesus. See, some scholars believe that this list here at the end of 1 John, at the end of our, our, our passage, there this children, fathers, young men, children, fathers, young men. Some believe that it's representing the various stages of Christian growth. Others believe that uh, the word children uh, implies all of God's people, while fathers is limited to the leaders of the people in the church, and then uh, that's separated from, from the young men who are uh, the newer believers. So children, everyone, fathers, leaders, young men, the younger one, and, 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 the, the, and the, the gender language there does not exclude women, um, but in a church where the, the leaders in the first century were all men, he speaks to them as fathers, just as God is a father. And so this applies to everybody, not just the men. And it's this beautiful 
familial language. And whether or not it's applying to different stages of Christian growth or whether it's applying to uh, various officers or different roles in the church, either way, John has some encouraging and some challenging things to say to this church. And the reason that he's writing and the reason it applies to you today and not just this church in the first century is because you are a beloved child of God. He's writing to you. He's writing to you because your sins are forgiven. Guys, that's why he's writing. He's not writing to you so that you would get your act together. He says, I write to you, children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That's why he's writing. That's why John writes. That's why I preach. That's why you evangelize. That's why you share the gospel. That's why you encourage one another and love one another. Not because everyone needs to get their act together and do what you think is right, but because their sins are forgiven. That's why John writes. That's the word he wants you to receive. Your sins are forgiven because you are a child of God. Real as your sins may be, recent as your sins may be, forgiven. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the propitiation of your sins that turns the wrath of God away from you and shelters you in Christ so that you receive nothing but the love that the one and only Son of God deserves. That's why he writes. He writes because you know God, not because he wants you to know God. He writes because you know God. If you are in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, all of this, the call to live a holy life, the call to love one another is not so that you can know God. He says he writes because you know him. You know God. And he writes not so that you can stop sinning and overcome the evil one. He writes because you have overcome the evil one. That in Christ, if your life is in Christ through faith in what Jesus has done for you, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Jesus' victory over sin, Satan, and death is given to you so that Scripture calls you more than conquerors. You are victorious in Christ. You have overcome the evil one. This is why he writes. This is why we come to church. Why did you come here today? Because your sins are forgiven. And where else are you going to go but the place where you can worship the one who has forgiven your sins with all of those who have been redeemed? This is why we're here. Because we know God. And where else are we going to hear about the goodness and grace of God's love and power and mercy and beauty and wisdom and honor and praise and everything that belongs to Him? That's why we're here. Because we know Him and we want to be with people that know Him. Why do we come into this place? Because out in the world, the devil prowls as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we in Christ have overcome Him. Greater is He who lives in you than he who lives in the world. The reason we come into this place is because by the blood of Jesus, you have been made something different than you were before you believed. This is the invitation to you if you don't believe to trust in Jesus. 
and become something so much different than you are. To become like Christ, to become a child, to have your sins forgiven, to know God who is from the beginning, to overcome the evil one, to have freedom from sin, to walk in freedom from sin, to experience the love of God, and to be not only loved by him, but reflect the love of God. This is why we're here. This is why we're here on Sundays. This is why we're on this planet. This is why God planted this church. This is what we do, not just when we come, but when we leave this place to reflect the light of God's love to the world. This is the key to the Christian life. Trust in Jesus. It's not trying to be a better person. It's becoming who you already are in Christ. Your gospel life will flow from your gospel identity. And so as a church, we receive instruction with confidence and let us receive correction and encouragement and teaching with confidence in him because he has already made us all we need to be. And so we can live in confidence. We can repent in confidence. We can pray in confidence. We can serve with confidence. We can love with confidence. We can walk throughout every season of this life with confidence so that we might experience the fulfillment of love and reflect it to the world around us. Let's pray that we would be and do just that. Heavenly Father, our lives are your life. We belong to you, God. Thank you for revealing yourself to us that we might know you, that we might know your love, that we might know your grace and forgiveness, God. Thank you for loving us the way you do, though we do not deserve it. Father, forgive us when we have not lived in light of this good news. When we've used grace as a license to sin rather than the power over sin. God, when we have chosen the easy way, the convenient way, Lord, to rest in your love and not lift a finger. God, we want to be those who reflect the, lo the love of Jesus, not just in our words, but in all of our lives. God, we want to become who we already are. And so, Lord, we turn our attention now to you. We praise the one who is our advocate. We praise the one who is the propitiation for our sins. We worship the one, Jesus Christ the righteous for all that you are, for all that you've done. Lord, from gratitude that you have called us to be something so much than we are, so much more than we are in and of ourselves. We worship you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Stir our affections for you and for one another today. For your glory, that this world might see your beauty. We ask it in Jesus' name.